Welcome to I'll Be Dashed, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father-daughter duo who read and discuss the works of P.G. Woodhouse. This month we'll be discussing Frozen Assets, which was published in 1964, one of his later books. It is not a series book. We do have some characters in this book who appear in other words although robin hasn't experienced any of them i believe they will uh piercy pillbeam and lord tilbury uh both appear in the blandings castle books oh and i believe in some other books also and also uh ivor llewellyn who doesn't really appear but he is mentioned uh does appear on later books also mm. And there's a couple of minor characters who have made period appearances in other books, but I didn't track like each and every one of those. So we're going to go ahead and get started with chapter one. Chapter one. Jerry Goldsmith is at a Parisian police office to report that his wallet is missing. The police sergeant says that he is to go to the office of the commissaire's secretary. Jerry had just been there, and they had sent him here. Yes, the sergeant explains. He must go there to be sent here, to be sent there, to be sent here. The sergeant asks where Jerry lost the wallet, or where did he have it last? At the cinema, Jerry says. He describes the wallet, and the secretary recalls that a wallet matching this description had been turned in. They go, they go back and forth on whether the keep it is grooved, <laughs> And the sergeant is exasperated when Jerry seems to give two different answers and exasperated once more when Jerry explains the confusion is that he doesn't know what a key bit is. After more back and forth, the sergeant says he has the wallet and wants Jerry to provide him info for paperwork. The sergeant says everything is done except for the stamps, which cost 20 francs. Jerry tells him to take it out of the wallet. Sergeant is aghast. Jerry suggests the paperwork says he has 20 less francs than in the wallet than it does. The sergeant must get clearance on this. The secretary is annoyed at the sergeant interrupting him since he was talking to a pretty girl. The sergeant talks about Jerry and the girl says it sounds like someone she knows. They had met on a ship coming from New York. He was also apparently a friend of her brother's. The secretary allows the sergeant to change the paperwork the girl asks the sergeant to keep Jerry there so that she can talk to him. Uh, her name is Kay Christopher. She's American. She says her brother has been missing for two days. His name is Edmund Biffin Christopher, and I assume his nickname will be Biffy. Ah, oh, never mind. Biff. Yep. <laughs> Woodhouse is growing up. <laughs> yeah, I can't, can't do Biffy anymore. That's so juvenile. According to his sister, he looks like a dash hound. In is in no financial difficulties, looking to inherit millions from a dead godfather. The secretary sends her outside to go see the sergeant. Only he, the sergeant, and the commissaire can use a door connecting the two offices. The sergeant comes back to Jerry and completes the paperwork and gives Jerry his portion. Jerry points out he hasn't given him his wallet, and the sergeant says he must come back in three days to the property office to retrieve it. End of the chapter. Yep. <clears throat> so I have some notes on this one. <laughs> I, I I think we've done enough podcasts that we know 
generally after I read the chapter, you're going to have some notes. Well, I mean, yes. The unique thing would be I have no notes. <laughs> I can say with 90% certainty that every chapter has a note in it. Okay. At least one. Um, I, I So my first note was being confused by a, a word choice of what houses. Okay. <laughs> because, I, I look for stuff like this because you always point stuff out like this, but I don't recall seeing anything. So, <laughs> so anyway, okay. So he's described at the very beginning. He's describing the surge, the sergeant. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce it how it looks. Um, he's describing the sergeant. And he said that he was giving the impression of being constructed of some form of suet, which my note was, isn't that fat? <laughs> it is. Hold on. Because actually, I did look that up, but oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I felt it wasn't. You know what it was is at the time I was like, suet. Oh, I know what that is because that word appeared in something else. And was, I looked it up. Huh? It, they mention it sometimes on the Great British Baking Show. That's why I think it's fat. Yeah, the hard white fat on the kidneys and loins of cattle, sheep, and other animals used to make foods including puddings, pastries, and mincemeat. <laughs> okay, so so he he looks not like a looking gentleman. Yeah, I was like he looks like he's constructed from fat, <laughs> which all right. Um, the other thing. That I am confused by uh, is when he's describing Jerry, who said whose deportment resembled rather closely that of a pea on a hot shovel. I don't know what he's trying to say. Okay, you described that of what on a hot shovel? A pea on a hot shovel. Oh, like a P-E-A? like a Yeah, like a sweet pea or a green pea. I'm assuming. I, I don't know. I'm going to assume kind of melting, maybe. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, that was an interesting way to say that. And I don't know what you mean by it. <laughs> Honestly, this first chapter, stuff like that, I kind of just, it, it went over. I was just, I was enjoying the comedy in this. I was too. But when there are turns of phrase where I'm just like, what? <laughs> that takes me out of the comedy a little yeah, bit. See, I don't know if this is, is just a bad thing that I do. It's like when I see something, it's like, well, that's a weird way of describing somebody. And then I just move you on. Just move on. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's the approach or not the approach, but that's kind of the way that I handle it. <laughs> um, my other note was when they were going back and forth about like the protocol of if I have to notify him again, he will notify me to notify you, precisely. You mean I go to him, just so, and he sends me to you, exactly, and then you send me to him. It is the official procedure in the case of lost property. And my note is just like, so nothing happens. It's just a revolving door of just this, this I, I poor have, man. <laughs> I will have to say, as somebody who spent a lot of time working among the government, that hit home. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I at no point was I was like, oh, that's not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I was like, that's almost too accurate. 
And then, oh, my next note was when the sergeant recalled that a wallet of precisely this description was discovered. Blah, blah, blah. And my note was just like, oh, that's so annoying. Because I knew at that point, the sergeant still wasn't going to give it up. No. He was still, still going to mess with Jerry. So I was like, oh, that's yeah. so annoying. Like, <laughs> just give it to me. Like, my one complaint about this novel, or at least the one that comes to mind, is like, that they never go back to the police office. I would have liked some more interaction there because I was like, this is probably one of the best beginnings to me of a yeah. novel because it's just like, you know that, oh, this is going to be really humor-based. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had, And then I had two notes in quick succession where Jerry, I think it's Jerry, yeah. Oh, Jerry sort of says, like, I was just thinking it's nice to feel we're not in a hurry. And the sergeant is like, I shall be here all night. And my note was like, I would have lost my shit. <laughs> if, if I was just like, come on, man. And the guy was like, nope, we're going to do this according to protocol. I'm like, come on. Um, but then I also put a crying laughing face, like, almost right underneath it. Oh yeah! If I had been in it, yeah, it would, well, would have not have been humorous at all. Yeah, <laughs> watching from the outside, yes. Well, because especially because where I put the crying laughing face was when Jerry said, "I wonder if you would mind if I buried my face in my hands for a moment." There is nothing I hope in the regulations to prohibit the poor devils who call at your office from burying their faces in their hands. I shall probably want to cry a little too if that's not forbidden. I will be with you again in a minute, and I'm like. Yeah, I've definitely felt like that in any government building. Just like, please, just please, just stop. <laughs> well, we have a saying in the Air Force, which they probably have in all the military and among all government. It's like, hurry up and wait. And yeah, it's like, all right, gotta do this, gotta do this. All right, we'll give you your wallet in three days. Oh, and there is in this chapter, there is another mentioning. Uh, there is another mention of Suet. Uh. <laughs> I think he's still talking about, he is talking about the sergeant. He said he quivered a little like a suet pudding in a high wind. And so I, I sort of added, I'm like, there's a lot of uh, food comparisons here. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was writing this chapter around dinner time or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have an, an instance where when we, when Kay is talking about her brother, I was like, oh, is this Biffy? And then I very quickly added, probably not. <laughs> and when I say Biffy, I mean Biffy from Jeeves and Wooster. Um, and it's not. It's definitely not. <laughs> I, I I don't know if those are the only two Biff Biffies that are in his work. But obviously, as you pointed out before, a lot of the nicknames are similar. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And Woodhouse just tends to use a lot of the same names, which we will see next month when we do Leave it to Smith, he changes Smith's first name mm -hmm. because it's the same first name as Baxter's. Yeah. Um, when Jerry, when we see Jerry and the sergeant again, the sergeant says that it'll be, you know, three days before he can collect his wallet, despite him following protocol. And then my note was just one ass. 
Like, he has places to go. He has to leave the country. And now he's saying he has to come back in three days get his wallet. I, I felt a lot of sympathy for Jerry. Yeah, well, I think that does really uh, get the reader on Jerry's side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since our sympathy is going to be mainly with Jerry throughout the novel, I think building up the sympathy right away will also get us over maybe some of the small bumps that some people, possibly you, will will have with Jerry in the very near future. I think I know what you're talking about. And while, yes, I found it frustrating, I actually don't think I have any notes on it. Jerry acts typically as most male Woodhouse heralds do. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I still prefer Jerry over, what's his face, Joss. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, Jerry felt less manipulative. Oh, yeah. I don't think. No, I don't think Jerry's manipulative. I mean, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. It may not be. <laughs> he's, he's, he's honest. <laughs> Perhaps too. <laughs> Perhaps too honest. But yeah, I didn't have many notes about that plot. So that was it. You're like, Jerry, get it. I mean, well, especially after we met Henry. I was like, okay, yeah, Jerry, come on. (laughs) Part of the reason why it's a little bit more palatable. No, I can't say the word. Palatable? Palatable. I just, sometimes I just completely like, what are words? (laughs) You started saying, I'm like, are you you trying to say platypus? (laughs) (laughs) I I think I was thinking palatable. Palatable? palatable but my mind was also going palpable and i don't know why okay so but i think that makes it easier for the reader to take because i don't think anybody goes into this going like oh i like henry <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone <laughs> i think henry is there to be disliked <laughs> yeah i would agree with that <laughs> All right, so chapter two. Kay is waiting for Jerry when he comes out. He doesn't recognize her at first and only tries to warn her not to go near the sergeant. Then he does recognize her and they talk. She says they should go get coffee, and he says he has no money because his wallet is in the police office. She offers to pay, and he gets over his hesitancy to let the opposite sex do so. Which, yeah, for that time frame. Kay tells how she's lost Biff. Jerry had been great friends with Biff, but not so much that he didn't see his faults. Kay says Jerry can sleep at Henry's. Henry is in the British Embassy. He's sure Henry will put him up. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> may, well, he will, but he's not going to like it. Yeah, he's also not really given an opportunity to, like, ever say no. Yeah. Kate just sort of bulldozes over I it. do almost feel bad for Henry because, yeah, it's it's that's another thing. It's quite obvious that Kate doesn't really think much of Henry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if asked, 
Henry would have been less sure of it. He had just about gone to bed when Kay brings Jerry over. She introduces them, and Jerry tells what happened. Henry reluctantly agrees to put Jerry up in his spare room. Kay leaves, and the two of them very politely have little to say to each other. Henry offers him a drink he doesn't want to provide, and Jerry agrees to a drink he knows will lead to small talk he doesn't want. Yeah, I do also want to point, I did see Austere in this chapter. Oh, I saw it a couple of times. Okay. In the book. I, I just wanted you to know that I do see them, even if I don't always mention them. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Henry seems a bit miffed at how well Kay and Jerry know each other, although they don't really. And that she calls him by his first name. Jerry thinks Mr. Shoesmith is probably a tongue twister. Henry interrogates Jerry like a criminal and mentions the first name thing again. And Jerry points out that he calls Henry by his first name. That is because they are engaged, Henry says. Mm -hmm. Jerry wakes up to find Henry gone. Kay calls. She has had a telegram from Biff. He's in London where Jerry is going, and she asks Jerry to see him and chastise him. Jerry says he doesn't care for Henry and that she shouldn't marry him, but marry Jerry instead. <laughs> Unusual for a Woodhouse novel, she points out that he barely knows her. That's true. She puts him off and they hang up. That's the end of that chapter. But yeah, the... I just met you again after many years. So one day and like, you're going to marry me. Well, okay. It brings to mind the Carly Rae Jepsen song. I just met you and this is crazy. So call me maybe. <laughs> yes. I, I often, when I am reading the Wooks Woodhouse, I'm like, this is just like a Carly Rae Jepsen song. I mean, if any song was going to be Jerry's anthem, don't you think it would be that one? I have to say, I just haven't thought about it. Oh, I thought about it. <laughs> it's like he's also with how relentless he is. <laughs> um. So I, in this chapter, I have. Well, I have some, but the, it's the in the second half of the chapter. Um, I <laughs> so when Jerry realizes that he loves Kay, um, that he you know he he was like, oh, this is the girl I've been searching for all my life. My note was like because she used her brain. That was you know, like she used her brain, and in that moment, you're like, oh my god, I love you. Well, he, he's attracted to intellect. <laughs> I, it also helps that the intellect is in a very pretty frame. Uh, I'm confused about why I highlighted this. I didn't actually put, I didn't put a note. I just underlined it. What did you, what did you highlight? So obvious is the taste for his interior organs. Maybe you were still thinking about suet? <laughs> it's possible. I often spend a lot of time thinking about suet. <laughs> um, I underlined it. I wanted to bring attention to it for some reason. 
And then, yes, I underlined the steer. Oh, and I wrote when, when Henry's like, well, she calls me by my first name because we're engaged. I just wrote, well, fuck. Because <laughs> at that point, I was still on, I, I was on Jerry's side already. So I felt bad for him. That was all I had. I, and I don't know why I, I uh, thought this based on Robin reading something about internal, internal organs. organs. Sure. But I do want to correct, although I did correct in the description of the last book. Uh, Woodhouse is buried in New York, not England. If you are wondering why I'm bringing that up, you probably <laughs> haven't listened to our last podcast for Carry On Jeeves. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to go listen to that podcast. Yes. To know why we're referencing it. <laughs> Your opinions about Robin might change. <laughs> or be confirmed. <laughs> Stop trying to make everyone think I'm a criminal. <laughs> oh, I don't think they think it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapter three. Oh, I'm going to mispronounce this name. Biff is at Barabalt Hotel? I think so. Huh? I think so. He asks the waiter if, if there is a cable for him. There was. He talks for a bit with the waiter. A boy comes in with the cable, and the waiter, seeing Biff's expression, asks if anything is wrong. The waiter is named Willie. He will... Uh, be connected to other characters in this novel. He'll be mentioned. Yeah. Several times. Yeah. Uh, Biff says that he, Biff, is a millionaire as his godfather has left the money in his will. And I point out Willie's last name is Pillbeam and he is the father of Percy, uh, who some people have already met in other novels and who will play a part in this novel. It also makes me wonder what happen because Willie seems like a nice guy. Percy. Oh, what happened to create Percy? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, does Willie stop being a nice guy at some point? You know I'm saying he, he seems like a nice guy and then he's got Percy, who this isn't anywhere near his his worst uh <laughs> presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Biff's godfather didn't like him, except when he saved him once from drowning, which can't be a Woodhouse book without the mention yeah. of somebody drowning or being drowned or suggesting that, hey, maybe you could save this person from drowning. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is true. That is a, a common sort of <laughs> subplot. <laughs> yes. And then let's go steal a policeman's hat. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he, Biff's godfather also disapproved of Biff constantly being pinched by the police. Shocking. What? Shocking. Oh, yes. It never happens. I am, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Woodhouse writing in modern times and all this talk about uh, assaulting the police. And I'm like, it'd be very different vibes. <laughs> in fact, that's why he's in London, since he had struck a policeman in Paris. You know, I'm 
wonder what policies he would have had to go through there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Biff receives a call from Jerry. Biff thought he was in America, but he had been fired for opening his paper up for a libel suit. Jerry had all intentions of relaying Kay's message, but Biff forestalls him and shows him the cable he received. I kind of skipped over a step there. Well, when I say Biff calls on Jerry, I mean. He goes to him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, he called him and all of a sudden he's there? <laughs> he teleported. Yeah. He shows the cable he received. Biff mentions how suddenly being a millionaire makes him want to help the less fortunate, such as Jerry, who's working on a rag of a paper. No right-thinking man will care to be caught dead in a ditch with and nothing to look forward to except a miserable, impecunious old age ending in a death in a gutter, which... <laughs> I, Look, I, even if Jerry doesn't like his job, he doesn't need to be told how shitty it is. I, I have to say that sticks out because for the most part in this novel, these guys are actually friends. Yeah, they're actually friends. Yeah, they're not friends like Birdie has friends. Yeah, yeah. No, they're actually so, but, somewhat decent to each other. Yeah. Biff does rag on him on occasion. Not very much, though. Yeah. Of course, Biff says, that's because he doesn't have capital. Biff looked at himself in the same way. He wants to give Jerry 20,000 pounds, but Jerry doesn't want to be a leech off of the new millionaire, which is, again, something refreshing. that... Refreshing. <laughs> unique and refreshing among uh, friends in the Woodhouse world. Yeah. So far, we've only seen one other example of that. <laughs> yeah. Even stranger because it was in a one of Bertie's friends. This <laughs> <laughs> mentions the menacing part at the end of the cable in which it talks about the provisions of the trust. Until Biff can get the money, Jerry offers to have him move in his apartment with him. Okay. They talk about Kay and about the th fact that Henry is a pill. <laughs> Biff mentions he used to be engaged to Linda Rome, Lord Tilbury's niece. She was the only girl he ever loved, and he wonders now that he is a millionaire if she might take a chance on him again. Jerry says it depends on what he did to make her dump him, and Biff mentions that it's his fascination with blondes. Biff also mentions, oh, I'm definitely going to pronounce this wrong, Trinitrotolul which is uh, another word for TNT, just because I thought you might ask. Wait, I'm sorry. I apparently completely skipped over that word. Where is that? Oh, okay, I found it. Common with the stick of Okay, when <laughs> when you said it before, I'm like, did, did that break? <laughs> I, I actually hadn't, I hadn't underlined it. <laughs> Biff is not sure how to reach Linda now, and Jerry says to ask Lord Tilbury, but Biff mentions that the two men don't get along. Ask his secretary then, says Jerry. Jerry wonders why Biff doesn't want to meet Tilbury, and it's because Tilbury was his godfather's brother and probably expected to inherit. Jerry calls Kay to give her the news, but Henry answers and says Kay is not there. Not technically, as she is in the next room. Jerry hangs up, and when Kay comes out and asks who was on the phone, he says it's the wrong number. 
my first note in this chapter is in that's in the first section um biff is talking about his grandfather and and how you know he had an issue with how often biff was getting arrested his godfather godfather i yeah i was confused for like the first half of the novel i could have swore it was grandfather <laughs> and then i was like okay wait so it's biff's grandfather and tilbury is the grandfather's brother but biff is in love with linda who is tilbury's niece niece and then you have i believe gwen who's the secretary yeah yeah so i was doing this mental map and then i when i realized it was godfather i'm like oh okay that makes it better <laughs> not actually related <laughs> um but i did say like oh your godfather was a smart man because you know he had an issue with how often biff was getting arrested and <laughs> Then my other note was when he's talking to Willie, and he said, would you care to kick me before you go? Willie is understandably confused by this question. And he said, it would be something to tell your grandchildren that you once kicked a millionaire. And then my note was just, oh, well, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah, it would be a story to tell my grandchildren, I suppose. I probably would have done it. <laughs> I mean, not hard, but I can say I kicked a millionaire and he didn't do anything about it. Because he offered. <laughs> I won't tell that part. <laughs> um, my next note was when Biff is talking to Jerry and he's saying that, you know, you get all these poor slobs who aren't millionaires and your heart bleeds for them. And my note was, I wish... <laughs> I wish millionaires felt bad for the people who weren't millionaires. <laughs> That'd be great. Give me some of that money. I had a question about Biff's apparent, like, not distaste, but ambivalence about brunettes. Uh, and I, don't I think he has a distaste for brunettes. I just think he has a. I have, I have an issue with him being like, oh, blondes, blah, blah, blah. like, okay. I'm a brunette, okay, I'm a little offended. No one is like, oh my god, I have to be with a brunette. It's always about blonde, blonde, blonde. It's annoying. So you're offended that a fictional character from 100 years ago preferred blondes over brunettes? Yes, because he's the latest in a long line of men who are like oh it has to be a brunette Ooh, they're so attractive Ooh. oh okay but who was the only woman that he ever loved well yeah but he was just like oh but she's a brunette so <laughs> oh, like, he, he almost treats her as like a mark against her i mean i don't know what to tell you this is something that as you pointed out actually happens that doesn't mean it can't be frustrating or that i can't it, be upset about it if it makes you feel any better and i apologize to any blondes out there but blonde is my least favorite hair color <laughs> which is, is humorous since i had been with more than a few a couple <laughs> yeah Whereas red is my favorite hair color, and I've 
never dated any actual redheads who who haven't colored their hair. Ah, okay. I was about yeah. to be like, um... <laughs> yeah, no, I have dated women who colored their hair red. Sure, yeah. It's just rude. I, I mean, okay. Is is Biff the type of guy that you would have wanted to? Be? No. Okay. I mean, I think Biff is just fine, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's like, would I want to be friends with Biff? Probably not. He, yeah, he no. goes out drinking way too much. <laughs> way too much. <laughs> he, can't, he can't seem to help himself. Yeah. And then so, if, I mean, I guess my thing is like, if he drank that much, like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't actually have an issue with that. My issue is that he gets into all sorts of scrapes when he's drinking. Whereas I prefer people who, yes, drink a lot, but are chill about it. <laughs> so Robin's like, I prefer functioning alcoholics. <laughs> Robin doesn't want to say, well, our family. <laughs> well, that wasn't actually what I was thinking, but yes. <laughs> Who are mostly not functioning alcohol? They're not alcoholics. Is what I was going to say, I'm like. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No, that makes it sound like I'm saying they're alcoholics, but they're not functioning. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> Most of my they, family are not alcoholics. They just like a good drink. <laughs> now and now. <laughs> I can't really, I can't really say anything because, and you can include this if you want, but. When Stephanie and I went to lunch the other day at the new distillery, she was it was like eleven thirty in the morning, and she's like, "Is it too early to get a cocktail?" And I was like, "No," <laughs> and she's like, "You didn't even hesitate." I'm like, "Because it's not too early." She's like, "It's eleven thirty in the morning." It's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> and I just looked at her. I'm like, "So get a Bloody Mary if it makes you feel better." She's like, "Well, what are you getting?" I'm like, "I'm getting this coffee cocktail." <laughs> I just want to point out that like. Probably in the last three years, the only times I have ever had a drink was with when I was with Robin. <laughs> that is true. I don't drink that much, so yeah. you you literally only drink when you're with me, which I was like, hmm. I mean, but also I'm here with the other kid, and I'm not gonna uh, yeah drink in in front of them, and drinking alone just seems sad to me. Yeah, Unless, I mean, like you, I don't know, I don't think you do anymore, but you used to like do like a, a shot of whiskey, mm -hmm. like when I gave you the uh, yeah. calendar thing. Yeah, but I, when but, I was talking to, to Stephanie about that the other day, I told her, I'm like, I did really like it. It helped me really like solidify like my taste in whiskey. And so I really liked it. But I also realized that I'm not someone that can drink every day, especially not hard liquor. <laughs> Because it, it, I, and one, I can't drink every day. And two, I can't drink every day at home. Because I was like, it just didn't feel fun. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> like beer or wine. Yeah. So the only things I would drink would pretty much be like shots mm -hmm. or, or cocktails. Yeah. And that's just not something I'm going to do at home because then I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am an alcoholic if I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm I'm seriously trying to think back. It's like when was the last time I had a drink at home? 
where Robin wasn't around. I don't know if you have. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean like since Katie, like, yeah, it's at least three years. Yeah, I'm if, like, if not any, longer. Anytime I know that you have drank and not been around me, it was around Katie. Yeah, I don't think you ever, in the past, however many years, drank without one of us being there. Also, and you know, I, I have no problem including this. Uh, I think it was like 2015 or 2016 New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. I got totally oh yeah toasted it, and uh, yeah. After that, I'm like, well, I don't want to repeat a night like that again. So, didn't you like try to do a cartwheel or something? Oh yeah, I just I at the very least I can say I'm not a sad drunk or no, you're not drunk. No, you're not. You are. A fun and or argumentative drunk. <laughs> well, Especially if someone is trying to make you stop drinking. Oh, okay. I was <laughs> like, I don't think I'm argumentative in like a, a belligerent way. No, but if someone's like, hey, you probably shouldn't have more than that. <laughs> that is like, yes, I should. And watch me. <laughs> yeah, didn't you try that in Italy? No, when I discovered it, Long Island iced teas. In no, actually, I didn't then because I thought it was really funny. But I did try to stop you in South Carolina because you got that tiki punch, and I was like, "Oh, this is super oh, alcoholic. Yeah. You shouldn't have more than one." And you're like, "But it's so good." It was good. Yeah, drinks that don't overwhelm me with the taste of alcohol yeah. are yeah. very dangerous for me because I'm like, yes. "Oh, this tastes good," and then it's like, I'm such a lightweight now that like. Yeah. Oh, you know, <laughs> something that took somebody else in my family and just made them lightly buzz, like, had me like, oh. Yeah, you were very quickly, like, in the, the buzz tipsy stage. And I'm like, okay, yeah. you're probably done. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, you're probably done. And dad's like, la, 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 <laughs> la. It's like, jeez. Okay. Now that we spent that amount of time saying how much we are not alcoholics while we talk so much about alcohol, <laughs> did you have any other notes on this chapter? Yeah. Uh, so my other note, moving on, <laughs> was... You have to say going off track here was a lot better than last time. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um I, I sort of point out that like Biff probably doesn't want to be with someone who just changes her mind about being with him because he has money but this was before i met linda and so oh. when he when he's talking about her he's saying that like because i have money she'll probably change her mind to take me back my note was like you probably don't want her then <laughs> but then i met linda and i'm like oh okay never mind I, I think not only does he want her, he probably needs her. He needs her. She's very grounding. Biff needs somebody. Um, I then also acknowledge that the Jerry's uncle, who is a solicitor, and he works at Shoesmith, 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 and Shoesmith. Um, I wrote that that was an unfortunate name. <laughs> oh, I think that name just fit perfectly in this novel. <laughs> I mean, it did, but I was just like, 
I can't imagine the actual. Oh, although I can't imagine him going, oh, where do you need to go? I need to go to Shoesmith, 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 and Shoesmith. Well, and then later when he's, you know, Jerry's impersonating a solicitor and he works at Henderson, 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 and Henderson. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> he's really going a little bit easier than the Shoesmith. It does a little bit, yeah. Those S's. Oh, and then. So when um, Jerry calls Kay and Henry answers, you know, he hangs up and then Kay asks, like, who is out on the phone? And he says, wrong number. I wrote, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but then Chris was sitting next to me when I wrote that. And so then he said it. Because <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. I just wrote it. But he ended up saying it. He's like, why did you write that? Why is that your note? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> And I do feel like Henry is kind of in the right in his feelings. Sure. But he's going about it the wrong like he's a jackass. way. So, <laughs> like, when things end up how they are eventually are going to end up, yeah. we don't really feel that bad for Henry. <laughs> or at least I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, it's very much the situation with. Um, Get all their names except Joss. What? The the love triangle in the other book. <laughs> Is it hot water? <laughs> oh, with, jo with Joss. N no, uh, that was quick service. Quick Joss. service. I'm like I I was trying so hard. I'm like I know that I've read another standalone yeah, novel. Yeah, Joss I and I from Sally, and I can't forget the and the what's his like face Lord or something though. Or... Yeah. But he, he, George or something. Um, George, yes. Yeah. But he, you know, he felt a sense of relief when yeah. the engagement was ended. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> so that's another popular trope that what else uses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Woodhouse will recycle. Yeah. Which, I mean, considering how many books he's written, I'm not surprised. Yeah, but it, it it's how he does it. And I, I think yeah. considering this book was published in 1964, mm -hmm. which is 62 years after the first book, <laughs> and he still got like another 11 years of publishing. Yeah. That's pretty good because I remember I've been doing the uh, five-year battles, Agatha Christie, mm -hmm. and I got to the end of her career. I'm just like, oh, boy. <laughs> Just like, wow, you uh, really declined in your old age. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, a lot of people think that she had dementia near the end. So, mm, Okay. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Woodhouse did not. <laughs> he, he may have been a little bit more cranky, but... Sure, yeah. All right, any more notes on that chapter? Nope, that was it. All right, chapter four. We meet puberty. Again, you you tend to do this every time we record. You go into puberty again. It's really like, interesting. I'm like Peter Brady. Changes. Is that is that a reference you get or not? I get it. I don't okay. know if many other people will. All right, uh, the Brady Bunch. Peter goes to puberty. We meet Lord Tilbury, owner <laughs> owner of. That does not sound better. Okay, we meet. 
we meet Lord Tilbury, owner of Mammoth Publishing Company. He's got a thing for his secretary, and he also breaks out in spots if he eats lobster, although that has little to do with the I totally world. forgot about that. <laughs> I just felt I needed to mention it because it just stuck out to me. It has nothing to do with this novel. I totally forget. I totally forgot that that was mentioned when we were introduced to this character because I was like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, okay. And I'm like, wait a minute, that never comes up again. <laughs> yeah. I honestly do not recall because he does appear in quite a few more novels. I don't think it ever comes up. But, but it's also, something we needed to know. Yeah, also, this is published in 1964. He has actually appeared in the novels many years before so okay this could be just something woodhouse like yeah i'm gonna add that woodhouse (laughs) isn't always consistent great with (laughs) yeah consistency with his characters yeah you know for example birdie has a sibling and then birdie doesn't have a sibling (laughs) uh tilbury formerly known as george pike is a widower he is dictating a letter to the secretary, Gwendolyn Gibb, to the editor of Society Spice about its lack of zimp in ginger. <laughs> I, I think ginger is probably... Spice? Well, no, I know it's a spice. I would say it's... Well, no, I mean like, <laughs> you know, like gossip. Yeah, I'm saying the word ginger is like used like this is kind of falling because I've never heard somebody say something's full of ginger. Full of spice. Okay, full of spice, sure. But yeah. I've never heard ginger. Like zippy. Like I had no qualms about it at all. I'm like, sure. We're moving on. Anyway, <laughs> that editor is Jerry Shoesmith, but used to be Percy Pillbeam, who left to open his own detective agency. Tilbury, Tilbury then tells Gwen to place a call to New York for him. His niece, Linda Rome, comes into the office. So we're starting to get hit with all the characters. Mm-hmm. She has made lodging arrangements since he had gotten rid of all of his domestics. And she figured the best solution was to go to a hotel temporarily. Which this is all setting up yeah. what's going to happen later. Because when I first read this, it's like, okay. okay. <laughs> Why? It's like we're getting a lot of interesting information yeah. about this person. <laughs> he wants to go on his newly repaired yacht, but must have lunch with Ivor Llewellyn, a motion picture man, who we will see again. But we don't really see him in this novel. Yeah. We just hear about him. Yeah. Uh, the phone rings and Tilbury talks to the solicitors in York about his brother's will. Linda is, is shocked when Tilbury yells. He relates that Biff is getting the money. Mm-hmm. Tilbury leaves the office without seeming to notice Gwen, which surprises her. She has noticed noted his attraction to her, and though she wishes he were younger and slimmer, she does like the sound of Lady Tilbury. <laughs> also, as Willie Pilbeam told his son, many, many older men end up married to their secretaries. Which you can tell this is a much older novel. (laughs) Biff comes into the office and is floored by Gwen's beauty. He had come there for Linda's address, but almost immediately forgets that. 
Because she is a blonde. After complimenting her, saying she should be in movies, which warms him to her when she had been cold earlier, he invite he invites her to dinner. <laughs> he tells her he's a millionaire, and she doesn't believe him until he mentioned her uncle, the waiter Willie. Gwendolyn was going to dinner with a cousin Percy and can't stand him up. You can, Biff says, and she says it would hurt Percy's feelings. Which, after meeting Percy, who cares? But yeah, it was like okay, hurt his feelings. <laughs> Jerry's back from dinner with his uncle. He thinks about Kay. He comes home to see Biff supported by another man. Biff introduces him as Percy Pillbeam. Jerry takes an instant dislike to him. Which <laughs> once again showing his good taste. <laughs> fair enough, because that's generally been the situation with most people who meet Percy mm -hmm. Pillbeam. <laughs> Biff leaves to freshen up Percy tells Jerry Biff tried to pick a fight with police Percy leaves and Jerry goes to Biff who says he wants to go out and punch a cop <laughs> Jerry tries to talk him out of it Biff tries to leave only discovered Jerry has locked him in I wrote down an eye roll uh, when Biff meets Gwen <laughs> yeah I was going let me guess what scene was it Yep, that was the scene. Because <laughs> I'm just like, so predictable. And <laughs> um, look, I do like Biff as a character because he's amusing and he's silly. What? <laughs> no, I wanted to say that. I, I, wa I wanted, that was my butt because I've been ragging on him a little bit with his like <laughs> blonde thing because it's offensive. Um, but I do like him as a character. <laughs> but I also <laughs> no, and I also <laughs> there's no but. But <laughs> <laughs> that that was a speech thing, not a, a implication a thing. thing? <laughs> <laughs> that was a filler word. Oh. <laughs> And when his plans, when he gets home and he tells Jerry, he's like, I'm offering a moment to soft cop. Do what? Soft cop. And I'm just like, I like you and your big plans. You're, you're very ambitious. <laughs> that you're that drunk and you're like, I'm going to go punch a cop. Yeah. Which is never a thought that I have when I'm drunk, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's never a thought that I have. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you should be. Also, that Jerry's, you know, trying to be rational and talk him out of it. And he's like, have you reflected that this policeman might may have a wife and children? And Biff says he has a ginger mustache. That's his response. <laughs> and my my note was just like, that's not a reason to punch him. <laughs> well, along with the whole blonde thing, the Woodhouse does seem to have he doesn't seem to like gingers some gentle antagonism against redheads <laughs> yeah i was just like well, I, fair, many of his female heroines are redheaded so I, I, don't, I don't think i've noticed that not not any that you have met yet i don't think oh okay. but, uh, of the 96 books or so that he has, there are quite a few of them that had uh, 
redheaded female protagonist. Okay. I, I I think he just shares the opinion about redheads that a lot of people do that, you know, they're uh they're evil. Fiery and quick to anger and <laughs> mercurial. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Well, probably from meeting some of them. <laughs> I, I I mean a lot to read. I'm like I say this as someone who definitely has a, a more reddish tint to my hair. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean you don't see it now, but I used to have my beard yeah. used to grow in red, but yeah. So I'm just like, okay, first you don't like brunettes. Now <laughs> we're like shitting on gingers. And I'm starting to feel personally attacked. That was it for that chapter. Shitting on gingers. That was the worst Gilligan's Island documentary I ever saw. <laughs> was that was your notes you said? Yeah. <laughs> I had to get my dumb joke in. <laughs> I was like, steamroll ahead. Uh, Robin said something. <laughs> Chapter five. Oh, okay. I was like, yes. I was like, what the hell did I write? <laughs> I. Okay, I wrote, Jerry is at the hellhole that is his office at Tilbury House, but I wrote it as hell hone. So it's just a typo. But he just, he's I'm, very I'm like, confused, what? like, what did I I'm mean? Like, yeah, because until I read the rest of it, I'm like, what's a hell hone? <laughs> is that another Woodhouse thing? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he gets to notice that Biff is there to see him. Jerry thinks he is going to be mad about the previous night, but Biff says Jerry actually saved his life. He got a letter from the solicitors in New York. It says he doesn't get the money until he's 30. That's not really a problem since he turns 30 next week. It kind of makes me a little sad for him that he's 29 and punching cops. You know? <laughs> I mean, it'd yeah, be a little I, bit different if he was in his early 20s. Yeah, I definitely grew out of that phase. <laughs> I never had that face. <laughs> no. But if I did, it would have been in my early 20s. Rob will only punch cops' horses. <laughs> Why are you thinking about that? I'm like, I'm confused. I'm like, did I? I'm like, were you? I'm like, fairly certain I've not been around a horse that wasn't in a petting zoo. Why did you say I punch horses? I because I was just I was making a joke and then you're like, did I? <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> that that came so quickly to you. I'm like, did I punch a horse? Hi, have horse? you met me? What? I do that stuff all the time. Sometimes it works like that, and sometimes I say something really stupid that you just kind of like, oh father. Well, and sometimes I <laughs> sometimes you're like, huh? Have had experiences where I have gotten blackout drunk and have to recall what people have told me. <laughs> I'm just after last week's conversation, and now this, I am starting to wonder if I should check your criminal records. <laughs> I used to think that you weren't a very good liar, but maybe you were, and you've hidden a sorted past for me. Yes, it's a, a pass of punching cops, horses, and digging up graves. 
you can send the police to Robin at. <laughs> if I did have a criminal record, it's just speeding tickets. <laughs> I completely forgot where I was. Oh, I don't know. You started talking about horses. <laughs> yeah. Oh, until he's 30. Okay. Uh, that's oh, right. <laughs> will be next week. <laughs> the problem is that if he is arrested at all before his birthday, he doesn't get any money. Luckily, Biff hasn't been arrested in the meantime, although the previous night would have certainly spelled disaster. Biff wants to repay Jerry, but Jerry won't hear of it. Biff talks about backing paper that Jerry could be the editor of, and Jerry is more amenable to that. Biff wants a picture from Paris and can't go to get it and wants Jerry to. And I didn't really make a lot of notes about this picture, but I know it's something that's worth some money that he wants to sell to get some money. Yeah. But since he never actually gets it, I didn't really go back. It's like, oh, wait, what was that picture again? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it was an expensive picture mm -hmm. that he wanted that he didn't get. Uh, yeah, that's accurate. Uh, Jerry says he can't because he's tied down there by Tilbury. The boy comes in with a letter. Jerry says, never mind, as Tilbury has just fired him. It's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, never mind. I'm suddenly very free. <laughs> Having more experience with Tilbury, it's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> Kay comes to answer the door in the residence in Paris. It's Jerry. He says he's there on business and that he wants to pick up a picture for Biff. Jerry explains that his godfather had left him everything. They talk about his money and that everybody will be looking to get some from him. She talks about the time Biff saved his godfather from drowning, which is less dramatic when it's actually explained. Yeah. <laughs> and Jerry explains the provision the godfather put in. He wants her to come to London to help watch over Biff. Henry comes in and Jerry heads off, not realizing until later that he's forgotten the picture. Jerry explains to Biff that he forgot the picture. Biff wonders why. Jerry explains it's because Henry kissed Kay. <laughs> Biff asks if Jerry has fallen for Kay. He, he, he has. Biff seems fine with it, believing Jerry to be much better for Kay than Henry. Although, I mean, knowing... Biff, although I like Jerry, Biff's not a great judge of character, I think. Sure. Uh, he tells Jerry he should have grabbed her and kissed her. And I'm like, that's your sister, man. Yeah. I mean. It's not something you should be encouraging. I mean. <laughs> like, you can encourage the relationship, but not. Uh, also, saying that somebody should just grab somebody and kiss her is another Woodhouse. Thing I mean, yeah, comes up quite a bit. <laughs> Although, again, being really immersed in Agatha Christie right now, it's not the worst thing. All right, <laughs> Dame Agatha has two adopted siblings get together. Ah. They were adopted since they were like toddlers. So they were raised as siblings. Yes. Okay. But Christy doesn't have a high opinion of adoption. 
based on her writing. What an interesting stance to take. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jerry explains they were on the phone when he told Kay he loved her, which is why he didn't grab her and kiss her. Yes. <laughs> which I have to explain this stuff because I interrupt my flow by going off track. <laughs> <laughs> Biff tells Jerry he's now engaged to Linda Rome. He says to Jerry there's something that Jerry can do to help stabilize his relationship with her, which is not to mention Gwen when he sees Linda. It's the perfect way to start a new relationship is keeping secrets. Yeah, but Jerry doesn't know who Gwen is, so he has to explain that that's Tilbury's secretary. Since blondes were the issue between the two of them before, there's no reason to mention one to her. This will not come back to bite Biff in the butt at all. No, nothing ever does. <laughs> this is just showing us more and more that Biff really needs Linda. <laughs> Biff thinks he ought to give something to Tilbury since it's his unpleasantness that made his brother not give him anything in the will. That's the end of that chapter. Okay. Um... So when Biff and Jerry are talking about, you know, the stipulations of the uh, trust and Biff says like, oh, well, you know, I just can't get arrested until I'm 30. And Jerry's like, oh, well, that's not that long. Aren't you nearly that? And Biff says like, yes, in another week. And my note was like, well, that shouldn't be that hard. But then after reading more of the book and getting to know Biff more. I'm like, oh, it is that hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. Okay. He has no impulse control. Um, I also put a crying laughing face when Biff says it's just a mannerism to have this urge to punch policemen. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Okay. I really want to read like a book about like how uh, police were viewed back in the right. days because it's like wow, it's just really been a change since then. I um, also when Jerry and Kay were talking, and Kay was like, "Did you know he once saved Mister Pike's life, this Godfather?" And I don't remember that. Anywhere prior to that in the book. Like, I I don't remember Biff saying or thinking anything about that. About saving his godfather. He mentions yeah. it Willie. Does he? Okay. Yeah, I, guess I remember I mentioned it earlier when I was... Yeah. Talking. I guess maybe I glossed over it or maybe I didn't think he was actually it, serious. I, it was just a, a quick mention. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, uh, he said that his godfather didn't really like him except for this one instance. Oh. Drowning. It would it was okay. maybe only a sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe I just glossed over it. Um and then I also sort of changing my tune here. Biff says only about how most blondes aren't intelligent, and I wrote rude next to it. Because that is rude. You can't I, judge I, people's intelligence on their looks. Except for Percy. 
Hi, Ron. Hi, buddy. Yeah, hi, buddy. <laughs> he's back. Yeah, and he's claws again. Oh, well, yeah. Although they're better than, like, digging into my bones. Yeah. That was all yeah, I have to put him down soon because he's going to start headbutting me. Well, yes. But he hasn't done that in so long that I've seen. <laughs> all right, I'm going to put you down there, buddy, okay? No, I, I put you down for a reason. Thank you. Go on. Go see Robin. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think he wanted oh, to leave the house again. Miles. <laughs> Chapter 6. Tilbury had consulted with his lawyers and been told that contesting the will was unlikely, but the provision gives him hope. He's sure that Biff will get arrested. <laughs> Biff is really known for this. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's a mannerism. Yeah. But then he wonders if Biff might be able to restrain himself for the meantime. It is only a week. Mm -hmm. But maybe he could assist Biff. He believes Percy Pillbeam is the man to help him. He goes to see him at his place of business. Percy thinks he's going to talk about his longing for Gwendolyn, but he talks about his brother's will instead. Percy understands that Tilbury wants him to get Biff drunk so that he'll end up getting pinched. Percy asks for a thousand pounds in payment, which angers Tilbury, and then Percy says he wants two thousand. They agree, and Percy says he will introduce Biff to Murphy, who is quite a drinker. And of course, Murphy, uh, it's going to be an Irish name. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> Part Irish, so I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm just saying that they have that stereotype. <laughs> yes. Jerry and Biff are talking about Linda and her high requirements for a mate. Biff is worried about meeting her standards. He is concerned because he has deceived her. Well, he is going to, since he is going to have lunch with Gwendolyn, you big dummy. He's concerned about money, too, and is waiting for Kay to bring the picture, because even though he's going to be a millionaire, he does not have any money at the moment. Yeah, he has to wait a week. <laughs> yep. The telephone ring. The telephone rings and it's Kay. It makes it sound like a, a jewelry commercial. And it's Kay, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I said that and it's like, ooh, the ring. <laughs> Jerry tells Biff she's arriving tomorrow and she's not bringing the picture, saying it would be fatal for him to have it. Which is true. Yeah, it's like, she's not wrong. Yeah, there's another call and Biff answer it. It's Percy who thinks he can get Biff some money. Biff meets with him who says he has a job for him. He wants Biff to make the acquaintance of a man named Murphy. He pushes this as something Scotland Yard would be unable to do, which, I mean... Who else would Scotland Yard contact? Yeah. I'm going to say this a few more times, probably. Biff definitely needs Linda because he's a very gullible man. He is. <laughs> uh, Biff asks Murphy, being an international spy, might not be cagey enough and unlikely to spill secrets to Biff. 
Percy says Murphy will talk if drunk. He says he'll give Biff 10 pounds now and 40 tomorrow. Knowing he made a promise to Linda, Biff is about to refuse, but then Jerry calls the office and tells him Linda called and thinking she was talking to Biff, says that she saw him lunching with a blonde. Jerry explains to her that he's not Biff and she asks where Biff is and she's going to contact him soon. Jerry gets off the phone and the phone rings again and it's for Biff again. We're not privy to what Linda says, but after getting off, Biff says that he'll take the job. Mm-hmm. After he leaves, Percy calls up Gwendolyn and tells her to give Biff a miss. She protests that Biff is going to be a millionaire, but Percy tells her he's not and explains why. Oh, okay. So at the very beginning of chapter six, when we're with Tilbury, um, and he's yeah, he's been told that he doesn't really have ground to contest the will. But he can, you know, set Biff up. And that was my that was my note. I said, oh no, he's gonna set him up. <laughs> Which of course the next page he comes up with this brilliant idea. I wrote like what's her face when Biff is saying that he's like, Why do I have this extraordinary urge to marry Linda and accept no no substitute? I said, like, what's her face? Uh Gwen. But I don't remember why I wrote it. <laughs> I don't know, because he certainly doesn't want to marry Gwen. He just... Yeah, he just... Yeah. Has a passing fancy. (laughs) For blonde. Oh. (laughs) And, you know, Biff is like, all right, I'm going to go meet, you know, what's his face? Uh, Percy. And he's like, so let's have him, Jerry O'Man, and then ho for the open road. And then I I was feeling stupid. I wrote, you ho. When we first met Percy, I felt a little bad for him. As we met him more, I felt less bad. But <laughs> at first I felt bad because he's not described in a favorable way. <laughs> um, especially... I- what I was gonna say, I, I understand. I do feel a little for Percy, but mainly that's just because he's often with Tilbury. Sure. Yeah. If if he is by himself, then yeah, it's hard to feel bad for him. But then when you put him with Tilbury, it's like sure. well, lesser of two evils kind of thing. That's fair. Um, and I mainly say that because, like, he's you know talking with Biff, and Percy smiles at something Biff says, and <laughs> with that said, not being aware how repulsive it made him look, he permitted himself a smile, and I'm like, damn, <laughs> like he's just a dude with that unfortunate mustache that he apparently twirls around a pen. Which the disturbing mental image. That's all I have for chapter six. What? Why is that disturbing? How long is his mustache? I mean, they they would have him like. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I've seen people do it with like their fingers and stuff. I don't understand why it would be. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, I've seen your husband's beard. He could probably do it. Oh, yeah. It's not that long. <laughs> I won't let him get that long. <laughs> okay, Linda. <laughs> hey, out of all the characters that look to be compared to, I'm okay with that one. <laughs> okay, Rocky Todd. <laughs> Nothing like Rocky Todd. Hopefully nobody is. <laughs> All right. And that, that was it for yeah. chapter seven. Kay is in London after having had lunch with Henry and Henry's mother previously. Henry's mother did not take to her. <laughs> she knocks on the door and Jerry lets her in. They are both glad to see each other. They discuss Biff's awful friends in Paris, which makes think of Henry, and then she remembers she was supposed to lunch with Henry and his mother today. Well, <laughs> probably not going to happen since you're in London and they're in Paris. Yeah. Kate tells Jerry she doesn't think he's fond of Henry. He admits it. <laughs> <laughs> they go back and forth. He does not hide that no. at all. <laughs> There's not a lot Jerry hides. <laughs> They go back and forth on Henry, and while Jerry isn't talking in a way very likely to be enjoyed by a modern woman, it is to be admitted that Henry blows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I do try to look at this from the point of view. It was written uh, well, sure. like 60 years ago. Yeah. But Henry still blows. So. Yeah, like, that that can't be denied. Yeah, Jerry tells her Biff's idea that he should kiss her. Uh, that's Jerry, not Biff. That would be weird. <laughs> that would be like Agatha Christie territory again. <laughs> but before he can, the bell rings. It is Biff, who Jerry had thought was in his room. He is blotto. <laughs> Jerry goes to get. Biff, a bicarbonate of soda, which you just don't see that in novels anymore. See I, a bunch in like older novels, but sure, bicarbonate of soda isn't that just soda water? I think it's just like or baking soda, baking soda water. I think <laughs> can't imagine that make you feel better if I had hangover. I've never tried it, but. <laughs> uh, when he gets back, he and Kate talk. He's glad Biff wasn't arrested, and she is more pessimistic. Jerry decides he's going to take Biff's trousers to prevent him from leaving the house. Which, by the way, is was one of my favorite subplot, subplots. Oh, I was like, it seems a ridiculous thing, but what it leads to is just like oh, it's, it's really funny. It was like those uh Russian nesting dolls, like when you yeah. open it, oh no, there's more. Oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> uh Jerry says he and Kay will meet for lunch so that they can discuss the earlier topic, which was uh, the, the kissing and such and such. <laughs> Henry had called Kay's office the previous day to change lunch plans and had learned she had gone to London. He thinks there's something nefarious going on between her and Jerry. Well, not yet. <laughs> it, 
I, I write, he's not exactly wrong, but he's wrong-headed yeah. about it. Yeah. To, to be fair, well, okay. one, I don't think Kay loves him at all. No. But <laughs> I do think that there is a way that he could have gone through this and ended up still being engaged. <laughs> sure, yes. But he, he went about it completely the wrong way. He's like, what's the way I can go about this to guarantee that I no longer have a fiance and that's the way he went. Yeah. Well, so I don't think he, I don't think he genuinely loved her either. No, there, there certainly was no sign of really on either side mm -hmm. that love was involved in this at all. Yeah. So he decides to go to London to have it out with her and that, yeah, that's pretty much, oh yeah, they're, they're not going to last. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of that chapter. When Kay and Jerry are talking about this drinking and then his apparently apparent lack of hangovers the next day, which is amazing. Um, but she she says he has these orgies and they don't do a thing to him. And so I just underlined orgies and I wrote hot. Uh, Nick, like, come you on. that your thoughts about Woodhouse orgies and his thoughts are different. Do you know that for sure? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> like, are you absolutely positive? <laughs> uh, pretty sure. <laughs> Woodhouse, I wouldn't say was fully asexual, but he's kind of close. Um, at the end of this is this was a very short chapter. Um, at the end of the chapter. <laughs> I, this phrase has been mentioned at least three times in this book and I only underlined the last one but talk to her like a Dutch uncle and my note was what does that mean <laughs> I don't know what that means <laughs> I assume it means like speaking harshly in like a corrective way but I've never heard this phrase <laughs> A stern, candid critic or advisor. Okay. So I wasn't wrong. Uh, this expression often put as talk to one like a Dutch uncle presumably alludes to the sternness and sobriety attributed to the Dutch. Huh. All right. This is like early 1800. So. Sure. Although... Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things I've heard about the Dutch is that, you know, they're stern and stern <laughs> like that. I was like, are you going to alienate our Dutch listeners? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people who don't really know the Dutch probably just think of, like, Amsterdam. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and think, oh, that's the Dutch. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are my only notes for that chapter. Okay. Chapter 8. Pilbeam calls Tilbury and lets him know it was a flop. Biff was completely drunk, but somehow didn't get himself arrested. After getting off the phone, Tilbury asks Gwendolyn if she wants to go to lunch. She points out that he is supposed to have lunch with Llewellyn, the uh, movie mogul. 
Tilbury is annoyed. He then asks about her dog, Towser. And that's probably the only thing I didn't like in this is like just the subject of Towser just gets introduced. Yeah. You, like, and you don't realize at first like what they're talking about at all. Yeah. it, it It's kind of like Woodhouse is like, oh, I need to introduce this dog for this mm -hmm. one specific joke. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just do it here. And it's like, no, you probably should have mentioned that like just briefly in a previous chapter. It's yeah. a very minor note, but yeah, I was kind of like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Tilbury had given her the dog as well as chocolates and flowers. <laughs> I, I don't know why we're pretending that he's not already courting her. <laughs> he gets another call from Percy He says Murphy had been talking to a newspaper man And said that Tilbury's brother Actually was loony mm -hmm. It's a little bit of Second hand There but okay Yeah I was that, And that was something that bothered me at that part Because I was like well that's hearsay By like a lot <laughs> Yeah which to be fair We will talk about that later Apparently, the brother wrote a letter to the journalist in red crayon with each word outlined in blue crayon. Very pretty. I mean, yeah, I mean, woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's eccentric, sure, but <laughs> yeah. maybe he was just feeling particularly creative and childlike that day. That's okay. We all have those moods. Yeah. He then decided to eat lunch with the journalist backwards, beginning with coffee and cigars and going backwards. Which, honestly, I will say, after that was explained, I was like, you know what? I agree with that. I think we should try to eat lunch backwards, although it seems like way too much food for lunch. <laughs> oh, yep. You know, some <laughs> of the lunch that Woodhouse and like other authors in that time describe is like, that's a lot of food. Yeah, because it was... Um, they began with coffee and cigars and worked back through a glass of port, chocolate souffle, and breaded veal cutlet with potatoes and asparagus, finishing up with aperitifs and martini cocktails. So I'm like, that sounds delightful. Yeah. I would love to start a meal with dessert. I will also say, <laughs> like, in, in that class level, yeah, those lunches weren't like half an hour or even an hour. Oh. Yeah, no, they were long. <laughs> they were spread out a little bit. It wasn't like, hey, you mean I got to eat all this now? Well, half hour? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. no. Spread out. <laughs> but I was like, I read that. I'm like, that sounds delightful. <laughs> also, The Godfather was a discipline of Charles Fort, who I will discuss a little bit more in, in a second here. Mm hmm Biff gets up fresh and dandy, like me if I was drinking before I turned 25. <laughs> Jerry explains he's going to his uncle's and Kay is moving in to keep an eye on Biff. Biff says he was just off to see Linda to try to get the, the, the betrothal back on. Biff also has a black eye and isn't quite sure where it came from. He gets a call from Tilbury who says he's coming over. Jerry has never personally met Tilbury and now apparently I just got stuck in writing it as Tilsbury. <laughs> so when he gets there, Biff introduces Jerry as his solicitor. Tilbury 
back to the regular spelling now, informs him he intends to contest the will. He explains about the letter and lunching backwards and being a discipline of Charles Fort. Apparently, Fort was a writer who believed the sky is a solid mass of some jelly substance and that stars are holes where the light shines through. Also, Fort was actually a real writer who was oh. championed by, uh, as they mentioned, Dresier and admired by Sherwood Anderson, mm -hmm. uh, Clarence Darrow, and Booth Tarkington. And also, from what little reading I've done, I mean, he doesn't necessarily himself believe some of the stuff that he said, or at least it's suggested that he didn't. Okay. Uh, Jerry says it doesn't mean that Old Pike believed these things or that he was mentally incompetent. Tilbury says he will concede to dividing the money equally. Barring that, he will take Biff to court. He leaves. Biff and Jerry talk. Jerry doesn't think Tilbury will bring it to court. He says he's not worried about Biff getting into trouble. Biff thanks him and then goes to get ready to go meet Linda. He comes back shortly. He can't find his pants. <laughs> Jerry explains that he and Kay agreed to take them away so Biff couldn't leave. Biff doesn't take this kindly. Biff thinks of, a, after Jerry leaves, Biff thinks of a secondhand clothing emporium. He calls the Brothers Cohen and orders a pair of pants. The man from Cohen comes, but due to a misunderstanding of pants versus trousers, the man had brought him underlinings. Mm -hmm. Well, he said pants, and he's in England. Yes. He was a dum-dum. <laughs> <laughs> and to remind people, Biff is American. Yes. It doesn't, I don't think it even gets mentioned with him, but it does get mentioned with Kay, like near the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's brought up that they're American after that, but Biff is American. Yeah. Uh, the man says he will go back and return shortly. He heads off. Then Biff receives a call from Tilbury, who asks if he had thought of the proposal. Biff says he has and wants Tilbury to come over to discuss it. When Tilbury gets there, Biff says he wants his pants. My first note of this chapter you're going to be annoyed by it. And I told Chris about it, and he's like, no, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You told the person who doesn't read books at all, and he said you're right. Yes. What kind of testimonial is that? That would be telling, like, you told me something about football, and I said you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you know things about football. I, I know about as much about football as he does about books. Hold on. Let me tell you what it was, and then I can. I'm already pissed off, Dom. You haven't even said it. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Um, hold on. Oh, so we are with Tilbury. And he's waiting for a call from Mr. Lewin. And it says that, like, it, the caller was not Mr. Lewin because he was at his room in the Savoy taking a bath in order to get fresh and sweet for the Tilbury luncheon. And I just wrote, gay. <laughs> and I 
told this to Chris, he's like, no, you're right. <laughs> that does seem gay. <laughs> Come on. I, Fresh and sweet. <laughs> I, I, I will point out that I have met Mr. Llewellyn in other Oh, words. in the books. Oh, okay, I'm like... <laughs> What? <laughs> I just love the look on your face. You met him? I was like, wait, what? I, I have encountered him in other books already. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> Not gay. Well, he got fresh and sweet for also, his, his male friend. Met him, I would say gay people would be like, no, we don't want him. <laughs> Maybe. I didn't actually meet him. All I know is he was getting fresh and sweet for someone. Yeah. I I will be kind and say it's just my voice of experience with the man that allows me to say that. Not the fact that you pretty much hunt for any word that's like, ooh. Yeah. Let me enjoy my queer subtext. You... you I, I don't have a problem with you enjoying it. I just have a problem with you voicing it. <laughs> that that kind of seems like homophobic a little bit. <laughs> when you're voicing it with Woodhouse, who, as I point out again, fairly asexual, and who has made plenty of asexual people somewhat disparaging comments about homosexuality? Very light comments, considering the time he did it in it. But mm -hmm. I just I do not see any homosexuality in Woodhouse, and that's nice for you. Now, the word in which, if you pointed out the subtext, I'd be like. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like Agatha Christie, she has a book, and she's very definitely not <laughs> pro gays. <laughs> but there's a book in which it's like, oh yeah, there's homosexual subtext in there. Sure. And there's also homosexual text, basically. <laughs> it it doesn't make the gays look great. Sure. Well, well of course. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I don't see it in what else. You're more than free to continue to point out. I'm also going I to will. exercise my freedom <laughs> to mock you. I mean, okay. <laughs> I guess if that's the stance you want to take. I was like, why, why are you always looking for gay subtext, never Jewish subtext? <laughs> Trust me, if I can find any Jewish subtext in this. <laughs> Boyish, <laughs> like, it's like I, I would. <laughs> I mean, unlike Christie, I don't think that Woodhouse has any anti-Semitic views in I his books. I but I also don't think he has any. He has no values. mention of them. They don't exist. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't. There may be, but I don't recall any right now. I, I haven't seen any. So. <laughs> Queer subtext is way easier to find. Well, yes, especially the way you look for it. Um, Bathing I, gay. 
it's not bathing is gay. It's saying he was getting fresh and sweet for Tilbury. That was gay. <laughs> um, and then I made another note about how Jerry is so smart because he is. He's a smart cookie. It's me. He's um, not a very good tabloid editor. <laughs> no, apparently not. <laughs> oh, and then when Biff and Biff asks Jerry to pretend to be, you know, a solicitor, uh, Jerry says that like, oh well, we we haven't officially met or anything, but he may have seen me somewhere. And Biff says, Oh, he won't remember you. Yours is one of those ordinary, meaningless faces that make no impression on the beholder. And I just wrote rude. Yeah, I think that was the second time that. Yeah. But, you know, again, for for a Woodhouse novel that has a lot of male friendship in there, that's sure. pretty decent. <laughs> that is very true. You you read this and they'll look at some of his other friendships and Woodhouse books and like, oh, these guys are the best friends. They are very close <laughs> friends, yes. Yeah. I definitely got that impression. That That's a lot of the reason I really like this novel is like that friendship is probably one of the better male mm -hmm. friendships that I've encountered in Woodhouse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and almost immediately after I started reading Leave It to Smith and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, my other note doesn't actually have anything to do with Woodhouse. Okay. My other note, though, is about an author that I decided I absolutely loathe, and he just happened to mention. Yeah, I just wanted to reiterate, you said loathe, not love. Loathe, yes. Yeah, you you, you kind of said it low, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, loathe, violently dislike. <laughs> I just don't want you to end up praising <laughs> some horrible person, and then <laughs> all our listeners are like, Robin's a horrible person. Yeah, I, like, I can Robin. deal with the grave digging and the alcoholism, but <laughs> I want to be clear, I'm not actually an alcoholic or a grave digger. <laughs> like anymore. Never have been. Almost made um, myself do a thing. <laughs> when he's talking about Charles, well, Jerry's giving this like background information on Charles Fort, and like he mentioned. Um, among his disciples were men like Alexander Wolcott and Theodore. How would you say his name? I probably said it wrong. Is it okay? You you like made it French, right? Dreiser. It's Dreiser. Dreiser. I, you you I, said you said like Dreiser or something. I'm like I'm reading Guy de Maupassant quite a bit, who is a French author, so I ah, tend to Frenchify. Okay. A lot of words. <laughs> okay, because I was like, I yeah, like, I know what. Uh, yeah, I had to, maybe I had to I Google. Like, I'm like, did I pronounce? Have I been pronouncing it wrong this whole time? Dreiser. No, I'll Dreiser. just take that back and put. It. <laughs> and I actually won't do that. I'll just have that pronunciation <laughs> in there and the correction now, but I won't correct it. You won't correct it. <laughs> um. So Theodore Dreiser, I really hate him. Oh. I with the English major. I've never actually read him, so. Count yourself lucky. Yeah, he wrote Sister <laughs> Carrie, right? Yes, he wrote Sister Carrie, which I have actually not read. And but, what, American Tragedy? 
I read an American tragedy. Yeah. And boy, howdy. That was enough for me to decide that I hate this author. Now I don't know if I have confirmed that I don't need to read them or if I should. Oh, by all means, go ahead. And I'd love to see if your opinion matches mine. You know that I tend to get more angry about books that I don't like than you do. So, yeah. And, and if I say that I'm going to read them, then I have to read them and I won't be able to DNF it. So, yeah. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I would not wish that on you. I think it was absolute crap. I think it was so poorly written. Um, and the fact that it was written in 1925 is not an excuse because I've, at this point, have read plenty of books written in that time and that are way better <laughs> so just the it has nothing to do with story just as soon as i saw his name i was like <laughs> oh and and we we never ever go off track <laughs> honestly this is like you you just put your foot out the train and touch the ground for like a quarter of a second Whereas often we'll just jump off the train, go rolling down a hill. <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge okay. what my reading experience was like at that particular point. <laughs> um, otherwise, oh, when the whole pants thing happened, <laughs> when, when this uh, Mr. Scarborough from Cohen Brothers came and brought pants, uh, I put a crying, laughing face, and I said, "Well, he asked. He asked for pants. He didn't ask for trousers." <laughs> um, and I, I couldn't stop laughing at that part. And Chris was very confused, and I had to explain the difference between pants and trousers in England. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, for people now, especially Americans, like well, that's mm -hmm. the same thing. <laughs> it is not the same thing. <laughs> but, I mean, it is to me. If you say to me pants and trousers, I'm like, yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah, but we're American. <laughs> <laughs> so, but those were those are my notes for that chapter. All righty, chapter nine. Biff has come to puberty again. <laughs> Biff has come to see Percy. They discuss Tilbury, and then Biff asks for his money. After verifying Biff had found out nothing from the phony spy, Percy says he will not pay him. Biff leaves and Percy gets a call from Tilbury at Jerry's place. Tilbury wants him to bring him trousers. Tilbury had thought of calling Gwendolyn, but didn't want to diminish himself in her mind. He thought of his butler and then remembered all the staff had left. I, I do like that, unlike the whole thing with Towser, mm -hmm. the whole thing with him not having staff and having to be at the hotel, that's kind of that had already been established. Novel. So it's like yeah. When it comes up again, it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. So he calls Percy. Percy takes quite a while to show up. And when he does, he has Towser with him. Because he thought he said Towser instead of trousers. And that's the entire reason the dog was mentioned in the first place. 
Does it play any further part in this? No. No. It was all for that. <laughs> Which I appreciate the dumb joke, but I just wish the dog had been mentioned earlier. Yeah. Percy mentions Gwen, which Tilbury starts at, and Percy explains that she's his cousin. Which at that point, I didn't realize that Tilbury didn't know that. Yeah. We had, we had known that for so long. We, we had known that, <laughs> but it, it was mentioned and then it wasn't touched upon greatly, but mm -hmm. it, Percy does mention Gwen a few times, just doesn't mention being related. Yeah. Tilbury explains that he wanted trousers. Also, if somebody calls you up and says, Bring me Towser. Bring me Towser. Wouldn't you be like, why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you ask for more context? <laughs> I'm just going to go take a dog. <laughs> and, and if he gets it from Gwen, wouldn't Gwen be going like, why do you want my dog? <laughs> yeah, like it's times like this, like novels like this, I don't think would work in the mm -hmm. age of cell phones. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> just completely ruin it all. <laughs> he explains that Biff took his because Biff had none, because Biff's sister had taken his to keep him out of trouble. He gives the key to his house to Percy and orders him to get him a pair of trousers. Percy doesn't like his tone, so he offers to sell his trousers to Tilbury. He says it will cost him 110 pounds. He cuts it down to 100, and Tilbury writes him a check. Now, this part I don't really buy because I think Percy has worked with Tilbury quite a bit. Mm -hmm. He should have seen this coming. Sure. But, I mean, and well, he did, but too late yeah it, it yeah. i i whatever we could say about percy i think percy is generally a smart person mm -hmm. i think he would have thought of this before before tilbury had left <laughs> sure yeah yeah tilbury goes to the bank immediately and stops the check <laughs> yeah he then goes to his hotel and gets pants of his own and contacts his solicitor Mr. Bunting, who is known for his weak digestion. Tilbury. I love, I love when that's part of the, the characterization. Like, that's the only characterization. Like, this character has a weak digestion. It's not his only character. It is his only characterization at the beginning, yes. <laughs> well, you're right. He is also a talented actor. <laughs> <laughs> Tilbury, Tilbury doesn't like to eat with him because he has medicine bottles on the table and explains what Tilbury is eating would do to his own stomach. Tilbury asks by way of talking about an imaginary story at his publishing company if one could be arrested for forcing another man to give his trousers. After discussing the food, Bunting says it would be a matter for civil court. Tilbury brings up his brother's strange lunching habits and Bunting, oh, Bunting feels that is unlikely to stand up in court. Tilbury is sure they must have worked in court and Bunting says only on movie screens, which reminds Tilbury of Llewellyn. He calls Gwendolyn, who informs him Llewellyn had called, but she had said he was sick in bed. Llewellyn said he would be going to his residence to see him. 
at his residence, which mm -hmm. he is not at. He is at the hotel. Yeah. Only after getting off the phone does Tilbury realize there will be no one at his house to greet Llewellyn. Tilbury tells Bunting he must pose as his butler. Bunting, who had been in amateur theatricals, is up to the task. This man's like, okay, I, I won't eat anything, but yeah. sure, I'll do this. Like, this, you know, solicitor that is apparently at the top of his field is yeah. like, sure, I'll pretend to be your butler. Like, okay. And I will mention Tilbury. I mean, uh, Bunting doesn't show up until chapter nine. Yeah, he is my favorite character in this book. <laughs> he is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this chapter is like, oh yeah, and then he just he he stays he going. It just keeps growing, and it's like, oh man, I love this guy. <laughs> my question was, how did Biff get Tilbury's pants? Like, how did that happen? That's never explained. By being stronger and more athletic than Tilbury saying, give me your pants. Basically, he scared him. So Tilbury willingly gave up his pants with only the implied Yes, threat. yes. Then he deserved to lose his pants. Well, I mean, again, Bunting says... Trousers, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't say pants, because then they're exchanging underwear, and then... Yeah, I was like... like Ooh. Well, I was just saying, like, the story become, has a different connotation when you think that they're exchanging <laughs> underwear. Is that um, a thong? <laughs> now I'm picturing Tilbury in a thong. That's wrong. Yeah, don't do that. Um, my other note was... I felt really bad for Towser because he just wanted to give affection to Tilbury and he was ignored. The dog. I don't even think of Towser <laughs> as a dog. I just... He, he's, <laughs> what, do you think, what are you thinking about him last? He, he's a joke prop. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, he had genuine feelings. I mean, he didn't. He, he's a dog in a fictional book, so. <laughs> he had hoped for better acquaintance with Tilbury, and he didn't get it. And I I just wrote, poor puppy. <laughs> also, not a particularly wise dog if he wanted <laughs> acquaintance with Tilbury. Apparently, those were all my notes for that chapter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just felt really bad for Towser. <laughs> All right, chapter 10. <laughs> Percy is coming to realize that Tilbury probably canceled the check. The doorbell rang. It's Henry. But what Percy notices is that he has trousers on. <laughs> <laughs> Henry is furious. Not it's unfortunate because that's exactly how it started. That's like word for word, like Percy was was hypnotized. Well, I'm pretty sure I, I I pretty much just grabbed that part of the phrase that Woodhouse used. Now I have to check and make it. I'm I'm almost positive you're correct. Oh yeah, because I had a note about it. 
It says, the thing about him, Henry, that attracted Percy's attention was that he was wearing trousers and his eyes gleamed covetously. (laughs) And my note was, he's so easy to please. (laughs) Well, if you're standing in a house or an apartment that's not yours without trousers, yeah, you may look at another man's trousers with... (laughs) With wanting. Yes. Uh, Henry is furious, not that anyone would be able to tell. Yes, if Jerry is there. Percy says he's not there at the moment and invites Henry in. Henry is wary of Towser, so we do get a little bit more mention of Towser. As he had not had good experience with dogs, and he sounds like somebody who wouldn't have good experiences with dogs. He asks if Percy has Towser under control. Percy says the dog is vicious and that whether or not he can control the dog depends on whether or not Henry gives him his trousers. (laughs) As I said before, it just keeps building and building. It's like, this has got to be it, right? Nope. Nope. The trousers live on. Henry says he will do so, but under protest. Noted. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Percy goes out and finds out the check has been canceled. He brings the dog to his agency, tells the office boy to buy him three pairs of trousers and bring them to Henry, and calls the publishing office. I That is nice that he does bring trousers. I mean, for somebody like Percy, I could just see him going like, yeah, screw that guy. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gwen tells him Tilbury is at his residence. Henry looks out the window and sees Kate and Jerry. He he goes into a bedroom, and honestly, reading it, I'm not sure what bedroom he goes into. I don't know. Jerry's, I assume? Yeah, I thought it was Biff's at I first. I thought it was Biff's at but first. But then they look in the Biff's. Yeah. So, so I, think it's, I think he went into think Jerry's. Into Jerry's. Uh, they come in and assume that Biff is sleeping. I don't know why would they would assume that. Yeah, they shouldn't have made that assumption. I would be like, well, we took his trousers, but Biff, but it's Biff. <laughs> is probably desperate, so we should probably check. Uh, Jerry, who had spent lunch trying to talk Kane to marrying him, continues the conversation, saying he loves her. There is silence in which Henry assumes Jerry is kissing Kay. He assumes correctly, <laughs> and she says, Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, we had two different wows there. <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out what type of wow would she say? <laughs> I, I think it, I thought it was kind of a breathless, like, oh, wow, <laughs> kind of situation. God, I hope not. That just sounds weird. That almost sounds like. I mean, I've never said wow, wow after wow. someone kissed me. So. That was horrible. <laughs> I've never said wow after someone's kissed me, so I, I don't know what it would sound like. I, honestly think I, I kind of think that's like a really lame response. So. Jinkies. Yeah. Uh, she says Jerry can let her go now that he's made his point. Which is not like a resounding like endorsement for Jerry's skill. Like, okay, you can let me go now. (laughs) (laughs) You may release me, scoundrel. (laughs) Poor Jerry. (laughs) 
Henry doesn't hear the rest of the conversation as he's reflecting on his own. He tells Jerry they don't really know each other, and he goes over his history and how he's sure to do good since Biff is getting him a newspaper. Kay says she wished they didn't have to rely on Biff. Jerry opens Biff's room and finds that he is not there, which makes mm-hmm. me think, yeah, he's in Jerry's bedroom. They assume he's gone to see Linda, and Kay says she'll go talk to her. They say words of love, mostly on Jerry's side, and Henry feels nauseated. <clears throat> yeah. Jerry answers the door to Percy's boy with the trousers. Confused, he tells the boy to put the trousers on the table. Giving the boy a half crown, he says maybe the boy should take them back to the shop. Henry comes out and says, or, well, he says from the bedroom, that the trousers are for him, and Jerry and the boy ask each other if they heard someone. <laughs> Henry comes out, grabs a parcel, and goes to dress himself. Soon he comes out, walking past Jerry, giving him a dirty look, and leaves. Bye, bye, Henry. <laughs> Another doorbell ring, and Linda is at the door. She is there to talk to him about Biff, who she is now married to. Mm-hmm. She says they're off tomorrow on a boat to America. For now, she's taking Biff to her uncle's house for safety. Reminder: her uncle mm-hmm. is Tilbury, and who is at his house? At his house. Yeah. And this is, except for the Towser thing, sure. the way Woodhouse is plotting all this stuff is just mm-hmm. excellent. Yeah. After talking for a bit, she leaves, and there's a policeman at the door looking for Biff. Well, oh, no, you have to say what the policeman says. I I forget what he says. He says something about his description. Start- Sorry to trouble you, but could you tell me if a gentleman who looks like a Dashwood lives here? And if you remember, he was described that way before. Then yes, I just I felt like that. I felt like that particular sentence was too important. (laughs) And yeah, that's the end of the chapter. So notes. So I already said one of them about. Um, Percy's attraction to trousers. Um, then my other one was there's so much trouser swapping. Uh, by the time <laughs> now that sounds sexual. How? <laughs> I was like, okay, it takes to keep a straight face. That was my only note. <laughs> Like, I I want to let people know that this morning, Robin had sixty pages of the book to read, and she finished it five minutes before we started the podcast. When I finished it, <laughs> well, I'm just saying there's. And I did tell the, you the that every chapter, chapter had at least one note. <laughs> You you said the later chapters had notes. Is that is accurate? <laughs> and it's more like the later chapters had note. <laughs> no, I think the last chapter is more than one. All right. So chapter 11, I'll just read this through since it's... Okay, it's apparently the chapter has one. 
Okay. <laughs> Biff is at Tilbury's house. He goes to the drawing room and lies down, falling asleep from the previous night activity. Okay. <laughs> he was tired. He was really I, I I just I couldn't do that, but also I couldn't do a lot of things that Biff does. So yeah. Uh Percy's entry doesn't stir him. Percy, after much thought, is starting to get cold feet. He heads down to the cellar and looks at the bottles of alcohol available. Tilbury's Rolls Royce enters the gate. Mm-hmm. Bunting and Tilbury enter, and Tilbury goes to his bedroom. Bunting comes up to him, and Tilbury is irritated. Bunting goes on and on about the problems of a heavy lunch and then informs him the house is congested with burglars. <laughs> One, he is locked in the cellar. He called the police and they took him away. Then Bunting found the other one. He felt he was too old to overpower the man. Tilbury says he'll do something about it. Bunting recommends a niblick. If you remember, I bu- I believe we talked about this before, but if not, you'll need to know it whenever we get to the golf stories. Niblick is a golf club. Oh, okay. We've definitely we we've not talked about it before, but I assumed it was a golf club because of the context. Yeah. Uh, they wake Biff. They wake Biff up. Tilbury asks if he can have Biff arrested. Yes, if he broke and entered. Biff said he didn't. That his wife let him in. Tilbury, seeing he can't get him arrested, tells him to get out and goes back to bed. Uh, I didn't mention here, but Biff explains who his wife is. (laughs) (laughs) Tilbury's niece, so. Bunting explains why he's in pajamas in bed at this time of day. Biff goes to Tilbury and wants him to sign over his claim and return 5% of the money. (laughs) <laughs> Can I get him arrested for blackmail? Asked Tilbury. Mm-hmm. Blackmail involves extortion, and the young man is offering him money, Bunting says, so Tilbury reluctantly signs. <laughs> the phone rings. <laughs> it is Llewellyn telling Tilbury he can't make it. <laughs> uh, phone, the phone rings again, and Bunting, still heavily invested in his role as butler, answers it. It's the police, and the person arrested was Pillbeam, who says he has a key. <laughs> Bunting says Percy has a case for false arrest. I love Bunting. Well, especially because there's a, a section in there somewhere where Bunting is very amused with Tilbury's obsession with getting people arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Bunting is having the time of his life. Yeah. Well, because Tilbury never explains why he's wanting Biff to get arrested. So Bunting is just like, wow, you you really want people arrested. He's just going with the flow and enjoying everything that's going on around him. (laughs) Percy comes to the gate and sees Gwendolyn, and she asks what he's doing there. Percy says he plans to sue Tilbury. She says if he does, she'll tell Biff what he's done. So Gwen tells Tilbury she took care of Percy. He says he doesn't know what he would do without her. She says he'll have to see because Mr. Llewellyn says she's quite photogenic and wants to take her to Hollywood. Don't go and be my wife instead, says Tilbury. He tells Til- uh, he tells Bunting to go for a walk. <laughs> Bunting doesn't take the hint 
and Tilbury says he wants to kiss Gwendolyn. <laughs> I wouldn't advise that on a full stomach, says. <laughs> also, I'm not positive. We don't know for sure. But I think knowing Gwendolyn and knowing Gwendolyn is related to Percy, she probably made that stuff up about Mr. Llewellyn. What do you mean? About saying she's very photogenic and wants to take her to. Oh, I could see that. I mean, I could also see it have, having happened, but. Sure. Just considering I, what her cousin is like. Yeah. That's fair. Biff is sure something happened between him and the police. He remembers a uniform and a ginger mustache. <laughs> Jerry comes up driving Linda's car. Biff isn't sure he's on speaking terms with Jerry. Jerry congratulates him, and Biff lets bygones speak bygones. Again, not something that would happen with Birdie's friends. That's true. <laughs> Biff is afraid, but Jerry laughs and says he is wanted at the sickbed of a gingered-faced policeman who wants to thank his preserver. Uh, apparently Biff in his drunken state meant to possibly <laughs> hit the policeman, but instead hit people who were hitting the policeman. <laughs> well, I, the way Jerry explained it, it was like, <laughs> you saw this policeman getting ganged up on by youths, and you were upset that the youths were beating up the policeman. <laughs> yeah. So you beat up the youths. <laughs> so, he just didn't get around to beating up the policeman himself, which was good for him. <laughs> uh, Jerry says he is also going to be Biff's brother-in-law. <laughs> Are you getting married too? Asked Bunting. Who just appears. Yeah. I think Woodhouse fell in love with Bunting too. And he's just <laughs> like, I'm just... Because <laughs> well, but it reminds me of in in quick service where what's his face uh the ham king like joss and sally are like oh i love you la, la, la. and he's like did you say something <laughs> and he like comes back into the conversation it reminded me of that i was like you just have these random men just showing up in conversations <laughs> yes everyone is getting married Bunting asks for a lift, and they happily agree. They head off, all singing loudly, none more loudly than Mr. Bunting. And that is the end of the tale of Mr. Bunting. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my only note for the chapter is I, I just, I liked this sentence. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I'm trying to figure out where to start. Uh, a moment before, he had been telling himself that Providence, always on the side of the good man, had gone out of its way to ensure that he should prosper as he deserved. And Providence, he now saw, was not the Santa Claus he had supposed, but a heartless practical joker who raised the good man's hopes only to dash them to the ground. Uh, this is Lord Tilbury thinking this. <laughs> And I, I just really like that sentence. I'm like, there's so many things to comment on here, but okay. <laughs> um, to make sure that was my only note. 
Yep. That was it. <laughs> so I know you did this earlier. So what what did you rank this book as? Uh, it got a four out of five. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think because I had filmed uh, a clip for YouTube like right before we started, and I had said that I was predicting that it was going to either be a three and a half or a four because I did really enjoy it in a lot of parts, but I felt like it was a slow start. I, as much as I liked the start, I, I felt like it was slow to get into the actual plot for only being 200 pages. But that's just how it felt. To be mm -hmm. fair, I also started the book a week ago. <laughs> yeah, yes. So maybe that's why it felt slow. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, okay. Well, we're we're doing this on Saturday the fourth, so you mm -hmm. need to read it by then. And so we came up with the plan: you read uh -huh. like four sections per day, uh -huh. and then for like four days, you were like fifty pages in. I have no excuse. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what I can really say. I'm like, I'm like, I could defend myself, but it's not like, really a defense. So I, I made, I got to fifty pages, bad. and then I made a decision to not read it because I was reading something else. <laughs> so that's that's what happened. <laughs> but I finished it. You I told you, I told you I would finish it by Saturday morning, and I did. Trust me, I, I'm quite familiar with you finishing something at the very last moment mm -hmm. as somebody who has just edited one of your school papers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could say I'm going to grow out of that, but I'm 32 years old, so I don't like, think I will. I, I, I've been used to that for like what 15 years now or so probably more a little bit that. longer yeah <laughs> so yeah no i don't expect uh your essay writing process to change uh, let's just say my procrastination <laughs> <laughs> nor do i expect it to change that when i edit it you're like you marked up so much <laughs> i'm like you waited to the last moment <laughs> it's like you're Charlie Brown. I'm Lucy. This is football. This is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, any uh, other comments about the book overall, or? No, I mean, I I liked it. Um, this was actually a, a five star for me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Was it because of bunting? Uh, it was because of bunting. It was because of the friendship. Between sure. Niff and Jerry, it just the way the comedy was plotted, except sure. for Towser, which just yeah, that was a small thing, and it's like it doesn't yeah well. But the 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 trousers mm -hmm. and the the whole getting arrested, and then yeah, the bunting was like the cherry on top. Sure, and, yeah. It's like he he didn't appear until like I said like chapter nine so like three quarters of the way through and then it's like oh that's my favorite character <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I, I definitely get it. And like I said, like, I liked the book. I just felt like it was a little slow in some parts. Some parts had me sort of just rolling my eyes a little bit. Um, and compared to other standalone novels that I really enjoyed, like Hot Water, it, it wasn't as good as Hot Water for me. It also wasn't as bad as any Smith book. So, speaking of Smith books, Spirit, I give you that segue. <laughs> um, our <laughs> next book that we're going to be doing is Leave It to Smith, which is the last Smith book as far as publication order. It will not be our last Smith book because we still have to do Smith journalists, but because of how Robin feels about Smith. I felt it was better to not do two Smiths in a row so quickly. And also, if I was going to get another Smith after we had done Smith in the City so recently, that at least we got one that's also a Blanding's Castle novel. Yeah. Now, to be fair, I've already started reading it. I don't think Robin's feelings about Smith are going to change. Well, no. But at least there's Lord Emsworth, and there's, there's Freddie, and there's uh, Beat hey. the Butler, and the, the efficient Baxter, who is efficient. Efficient, and also <laughs> basically is going to get his ass handed to him again. It, it's something you should get used to with Baxter. But if it my theory is that if his ass is going to be handed to him by Smith, I'm going to have a lot more sympathy for Baxter. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil it too much since you sure. started reading it. But slipping back real quickly to the whole procrastination thing, it as we're recording this, it is the 4th of November. Robin and I will be recording this over American Thanksgiving break, which generally we have a, a month between podcasts, so a month between when Robin has to read it. It's going to be a little bit shorter time for Robin. So Robin knows, I mean, you know she knows, it may not change things, that I will be sounding her a little bit about reading this book. So... Yeah, and we're going to be, of course, uh, in person as we do it. So, I have a plan. <laughs> Phrases Scott does want, not want to hear. <laughs> I have a plan to read. To read Leave It Smith after I read Angels in America. There's quite a tonal shift. <laughs> well, because I have to read Angels in America for class. I assume it'll take me like a week. And then I'll read it, leave it Smith. So I should have it read by, theoretically, by the 16th. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm doing the thing that you were trying to do, which I suggested because I've done it. But I do like so many sections a day. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I will have it done before I, I leave. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm on page 98 right now, and there's 266 pages. So I have a hard time doing that, especially if I'm reading sections and then I'm reading another book. Yeah, you and I are vastly different there. Yeah, because what happened with this book is that I read my section and then I started an another book which i already knew i enjoyed and i just got sucked into it so hard to where i was like no i'm not gonna put this down to pick up frozen assets for four section and then re-pick up this book that i love <laughs> yeah robin's pretty much like a one book at a time woman generally yeah i can do two books but one of them has to be an audiobook Whereas I'm a book whore. <laughs> yes. I, I do like 10 at a time. <laughs> books here, books there. Yes. It's so chaotic and I don't know how you do it. Uh, but I, it also explains why you can never remember character names. Oh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> one thing that I do lose is character names. I can remember mm -hmm. like what happens in the book, but character names, yeah, I'm absolutely <laughs> horrible with. Yeah. But yeah, I'm. I think I'm reading nine books right now. No, I can do that. I'm reading nine books, and I'm also reading uh, uncollected Stephen King stories because I'm doing a ranking of the Stephen King short stories. So I have to read ones that I have not read before. So I'm essentially reading ten ten books. Yeah. But two of them are short story collections, essentially. So, so that is our next book that is coming up. Again, Leaf to Smith, the last in the Smith series and the second in the Blanding Castles series. And which also means, since we have finally got to book two of Blanding's Castle, we will read Blanding Castles books more regularly. Yeah. Which you know, we haven't done one since our first book, which I know Robin will en enjoy more. Thank you for listening. This has been Frozen Assets. This has been I'll Be Dash, the Woodhouse podcast. We'll talk to you next time.